Hi, Hope. I feel like I, I should roll up these sleeves so that we could build up some trust here, but it still happens like that, where one just apparently comes out of my sleeve. But no, no using my sleeves. I won't go near my sleeves. There's a second. <laughs> so look at my hands. Nothing like hidden in the, the fingertips, but there's the, the third. Hope you're watching close, because um, you could see two here, one here, two here, one here, two here, one, wait a minute, watch. Because you'll see as they just vanish one at a time, the next one is just an illusion because if you just blink, you miss it. And the last one, you could see it right as it vanishes. Hope you guys are enjoying these. Thanks for watching. It feels like marriage is under attack today. We just don't understand how really important marriage is to God. If we understood that, would we view marriage differently? Shantae, do you have a, a favorite card? Um, you don't have to. I don't, but- You I don't. Uh, let's, let's grab one out that's, that's easy to sign. Uh, let's, five of hearts, are you fine with that? Sure, you want that two of hearts? Great. Two of hearts. I feel like that's magical. Uh, five, which is it? It's up to you. I'm gonna go five. With the five. Leaning yeah. Two, oh, so. leaning towards the two. Mm -hmm. Okay, good call. We're on so, day, uh, baby. <laughs> so take your all. name and sign your name on there. <laughs> nice and big so everybody could see it, or small and tiny. Um, <laughs> oh, is that too small and tiny? <laughs> no, no, that's fine. It's fine. Okay, so, so let's do this. Um, will you hold out both hands for me? Yes. Okay. Uh -oh. Here's what's gonna happen. Hold, hold on to the deck. On the count of three, I'm not gonna have your, earlier I had your card like jumped, you're like a little bit. Oh my goodness, you're in there tight. Um, I had a card jump to the top. I'm not gonna have it jump to the top. I'm gonna actually have the card, you know what, let's have all the cards vanish. My oh yeah. Oh. Are you ready to have all the cards vanish yes. on the count uh -huh. of three? Watch one, two, three. Did you feel them vanish? No. <laughs> Really? <laughs> no, not at all. They're still there. <laughs> Are you sure? Pasta. Oh boy. Your card? No, that's weird. Let me try to. You're sure all the cards are still there? Yes, Danny. Because it should. There. You're <laughs> sure? Because it should just be your card. It no. Should just feel like one. No. Let's take a peek. Go ahead, lift up. What? Look. We. What? All the cards are gone except for one card. Yeah, just one card. Just happens to be your card. Oh my gosh. You see? What Chante's uh, card. <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> Isn't that cool? As I said, you're all going to get an opportunity to see him live, to do a live performance. We're going to set those up. Uh, so you have an opportunity to invite coworkers, neighbors that would never come to Hope Community Church, but maybe they'll come and be a part of that, kind of introduce them into ministry. Uh, you're going to be hearing more about that. Before I jump in this weekend, I want to share with you one of my favorite events of the year when it comes to raising money for great causes. It's called Rock Your World. Uh, mark the date. It's October the 4th. It's at the Maiden Inn. 
in downtown Cary, and we're going to be raising money for a couple of really, really good causes. First of all, uh, the very first mission trip we ever sent from Hope Community Church over 20 years ago went to this little area, this little rural area, about 45 miles outside of Port-au-Prince. So rural, it would take you about eight hours to go that 45 miles. The last 10 miles, you had to get in a Jeep and go down a river just to get there. But today, there's a thriving church. There are two medical clinics that see over 5,000 people a year. There's a school that has 300 students with a 90% graduation rate. To put that in perspective, the rest of Haitian schools have a 30% graduation rate. But that's because of your giving. That's because of your generosity. And so every year we have this fundraiser, and it helps us raise money for the Hope for Haiti Foundation, which is now a 501c3 that grew out of our first trip there. And, and this helps uh, subsidize it. They're getting ready to start a leadership academy in Benet. You may remember a few years ago, we raised some money and bought some buildings there. But what's cool, uh, the school, the clinics, everything there is run by Haitian nationals, over 70, including teachers, doctors, medical technicians, and they run that. But this helps them run it in such a way that it's first class and it can impact people. So that's part of the fundraiser. The other part is for the Ship of Zion community outreach. We're all familiar with Ship of Zion. Uh, it was with Ship of Zion that we started the Galley grocery store, which remember there was a food desert in Raleigh, no fresh meat or produce within a seven mile radius. And we were able to raise the money to start a grocery store there. It's providing jobs. We subsidize the cost of the food. So this fundraiser is to help with that. Also Bread of Life Ministry that feeds 3,400 people a month. Also a transition employment initiative that's, that's run through Ship of Zion. So we have this great night at the Maiden Inn in downtown Cary. Uh, we have the whole hotel. You can come and spend the night, Laura and I do that every year. Three great bands are going to be performing, uh, great auctions, great stuff to take advantage of, and just raise some money for a great cause. I'll be there. Laura will be there. A bunch of people will be there. I hope you'll show up. Go online, get all the information. But let me tell you the insight. Get a VIP ticket. That's what I do. I'm not even a VIP, but I can afford a VIP ticket. You know what I'm saying? Because you get some really cool perks. So make sure you check that out and join us on October the 4th. Now, this is the second week of our series that we're calling House of Cards, Illusion of a Perfect Family. And as we learned last week, it's an illusion because thanks to Adam and Eve and the fall, all of our families are broken. All of our families are dysfunctional because they passed all of their brokenness down to us. So last week we talked about the mess. We're going to change gears and turn the corner a little bit this weekend, and we're going to begin talking about how do we experience the family as God designed the family to be experienced. This weekend I'm going to begin by talking about marriage, and we have to talk about marriage because marriage is the foundation of the family. But I want you to understand before you shut me down, I'm not just talking to people who are married. This is for everybody. Because even if you're single, statistics say you'll get married. Maybe you're divorced. And by the way, let me just say this to those of you who are divorced. This is a no condemnation zone. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And odds are, you're going to get married again. So we're going to be going over some principles this weekend that if you're married, you need. If you're single, you need. If you're divorced, you need them. Because we're all going to have the opportunity to put them to use. Because not only that, we all know people who are married. Good gracious, we have friends and co-workers and neighbors and kids and grandkids, and eventually they're going to have a crisis, and they're going to come to us and ask us for advice. We don't want to just give them what we think or our opinion. We want to give them good, sound, biblical advice about marriage. Because whether you're married or not, let me tell you this, we're all pulling for marriage to work. You know why? Because we've all witnessed the devastation, the toll that it takes when marriages don't work. 
So we want marriages to work here at Hope Community Church. So we're all in this together. We're all pulling for marriages. So here we go. Let me just begin by saying this. There is nothing, and I mean this with all my heart, there is nothing more rewarding than a healthy marriage that's working the way God designed it to work. There is nothing being, than, uh, better than being able to relax in a home and you don't have a lot of conflict. There's nothing better than having a refuge where there's love and acceptance and joy and peace. In fact, it seems that, you know, even with things like plumbing problems and a leaky roof and a car that won't run and whiny kids, right? If there is harmony between mom and dad, if there's this sense, hey, we're in this together and we're on the same team, I'm telling you, you can pretty much survive anything as a family. However, at the same time, there is nothing more miserable than being in a home that is full of dissension and turmoil and strife and anger. I'm telling you, all of the money in the world cannot overcome the absence of love and joy and peace in a home. In fact, when those things are missing, I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how many vacations you go on. Nothing ever seems to go right. But this is what's interesting. No one ever anticipates being in a miserable marriage. Most people, when they get married, they say, I do. You know, they kiss, the celebration starts, and they think they're gonna live happily ever after, right? Nobody ever expects to be miserable, but that's where some of you are this weekend. And you're wondering, how in the heck did we get here, right? You ever thought that? I mean, how did we lose that loving feeling? Well, I've discovered over the years that there are actually several stages of marriage. First, I call it the smitten stage, okay? You're just smitten with each other. Sometimes you call it the honeymoon phase, but we all remember that stage, you know? That, that, that's when you're just absolutely smitten with love. You cannot get enough of this new pers person, and it makes you do crazy things. Man, you remember some of that stuff we used to do? Did you ever write poetry? You ever try that? I sucked at that, but I, I try. You plan creative dates. You stop by and bring home flowers. You, you know, breakfast in bed. Nothing's too much. Ladies, the, the early days, see, the smitten states, that's when you cooked. See, you remember that? <laughs> or if he was in the mood, sometimes you even said yes, right? I mean, crazy stuff, right? Listen, I have conducted hundreds of weddings. I have seen the smitten look over and over in fact, sometimes so smitten, I'm thinking, we got to get the hose out. We got to hose them down just to get through the ceremony, right? But we've all been in that stage of marriage. But then there's the second stage, which unfortunately, it's way too common. It's the oh no stage. So that's when you wake up one morning and you look over at their spouse, your spouse and they got bedhead and drooling all over the place. And you're like, uh-oh, oh no. What was I thinking? And it's amazing at this stage how our perspective toward our spouse can actually begin to shift. For example, in the smitten stage, you thought it was, you thought it was so cute how, how she was so neat, how she was so clean, how she was so organized. But in the oh no stage, she's compulsive. <laughs> she's neurotic, you know, she's just a nag. In the smitten stage, you just love, he was so adorable, he was so winsome and charming and relational. He was the life of the party. He had such a great sense of humor. But you know what? When you get to the old no stage, he's just like, he's never going to grow up. He's never going to be responsible. It's like having another child around. By the way, it's the old no stage where you probably realize for the first time, hmm, there's a possibility we may not live happily ever after. Things start to set in. There's the third stage. How did we get here? And this is an interesting stage because that guy that was so handsome that you marry, now he's morphed from Prince Charming into Quasimodo, okay? He sits on the couch all day, scratching, watching TV, doesn't shower, doesn't shave. You want to go out to race for dinner, he walks down in camo. I mean, that's, well, you know, what happened to the guy I married? 
And ladies, don't laugh because husbands watch you go from Snow White, so sweet and innocent, to the Wicked Witch, you know, (laughs) never happy, nagging all the time, complaining all the time, yelling all the time. And then that leads to the fourth stage. What do we do now? Because now there's been so much animosity, so much resentment that has built up in the marriage, you don't know what to do. So you take that long walk out to the end of the pier. And standing at the end of the pier and looking down, you realize, wow, it's decision time. You got to make a decision. So you begin to think through your options. Option number one, I'll grin and bear it. We'll just grin and bear it. I'm a Christian. I said for better, for worse, I'm going to make it work. I'm just going to stay in it. The problem is there's this emotional separation. It's kind of like in that card trick, right? The cards were there, but the cards weren't really there. And so you're in the marriage. Yeah, you didn't leave the marriage. You didn't desert the marriage. But you just accepted the fact it's never going to change. It is what it is. And instead of dealing with the real issues that got you to this point, you just, you just divert your attention. You dive into your career. You dive into some form of recreation. You immerse yourself in the lives of your kids. There's no relationship whatsoever. There's just a lot of short words, short sentences, passive-aggressive behavior. And I might add here, this is probably the most common approach among Christian couples. We're not happy, but it's never going to change, but we said we we're going to do it. Let's just make it happen. You're like two ships that pass in the night or like the words of throw. You just live out your lives in quiet desperation. You know what? It is what it is. Option two, we'll separate. I'll separate. In other words, we can't make it together. We can't make it together. Let's see if we can separate and make it apart. Maybe if we're apart, maybe the absence will make the heart grow fonder. Maybe the fire will return. Maybe the passion will return. Maybe the love will return. The problem is this rarely rarely, rarely ever works. And it's because when you separate, you've just created more tension. Because now you have two households to keep up. Now your finances are stretched further than ever. Now the kids are acting out because they don't know whether they're coming or going. I'm telling you, absence does not make the heart grow fonder. Often it drives a wedge between a husband and a wife. Option three, I'll divorce. Now let me just say this, way too many couples in our culture get married with the idea, hey, if it doesn't work out, I'm good gracious, we, we can divorce. It's no big deal. So here's my wisdom for what it's worth. There are two processes that should never be entered into prematurely, embalming <laughs> and divorce. Okay. So that's why I tell couples all the time, don't say divorce. Don't ever use it in a conversation. Don't drop the D word because once it's out, once it's considered a viable option, It's almost impossible to forget that. But then there's option four, I'll work until we get it right. In other words, I committed to this, I'm in a covenant, I'm not giving up. And so you ask God to help you do it his way. You seek some good counseling, maybe you sign up for re-engage here at Hope, you learn to talk to each other openly about your feelings and disappointments and expectations that haven't been met, but you try to find out how can we live, how can we get what we've lost, how can we find reconciliation, because you gotta understand. And again, it doesn't matter if you've been divorced, you know, you, you gotta start somewhere. You gotta understand what God expects. This is God's plan. This is God's desire. Now here's the big question, well great Mike, how do you do it? Well, one of Laura's favorite new shows is on Netflix. It's called Bringing Sexy Back. It is not what you think, okay? It's about taking people that have kind of lost it as they've gotten older. You know, they don't take care of themselves anymore. And so they, they give them a makeover. And I've learned just a couple of really interesting things by watching the show. One, it is a lousy show. That's the first thing I learned. 
Second, the fact that I'm watching it with her, I am incredibly impacted. But I've also learned that the key to a good makeover is just knowing what you got to work with. In other words, you can't work with something that you don't have. And so over the next few minutes this weekend, I wanna talk about how you can do a marriage makeover, how you can make the most of what you've got. And as I've said, if you're single or divorced, these are things you know, because when you get into that next relationship, you need to know these things. So I wanna share with you five ways to not only survive marriage, but five ways that you can transform your marriage, but I'm just gonna tell you ahead of time, none of them are easy, because marriage is just work. But the payoff, it's all the difference in the world. Here's the first one. Accept responsibility for your part of the marriage mess. In other words, you have to be honest enough to accept responsibility in the, the role you played in screwing up the marriage. And this is what I've learned about marriage. It's always two sides. There's no such thing as you were 100% wrong and I had no you know, guilt whatsoever. It may be 90-10, it may be 80-20, it may be 50-50, but there's always two sides. And so you've got to at least think about it and share what your side of the problem was. Own your part of the problem. I mean, yeah, you can spend all the time blaming your spouse and pointing fingers, but the bottom line is this. You have no control whatsoever over your spouse's behavior. You have no control whatsoever over your spouse's attitude. But guess what? You have total control over your behavior. You have total control over your attitude, how you respond to them, so stop blaming your spouse for your unhappiness. Stop thinking, well, if only I had married. That's just a waste of time. It's just sideways energy. The only thing you have any control over in your life is yourself. So own up to your share of the problem, and you just say, forget them. I'm gonna work on being the best spouse, the best person that I can possibly be. I mean, if the grass looks better on the other side of the fence, guess what? Start watering the grass. Start taking care of the grass on your side of the fence. Quit focusing on your spouse. Quit worrying about your spouse and worry about yourself because this is what you need to understand. Healthy people make healthy marriages. Healthy, you don't really have marriage problems in marriage. Yeah, people problem. Healthy people make healthy marriages, but you'll never be healthy enough to have a healthy marriage until you can take some ownership of your actions and your attitudes and your behavior. So that's the first one. Here's the second one. Just believe that your marriage can change. I mean, I understand as you sit here this weekend, you may feel like your situation is hopeless. I want you to understand God doesn't feel that way. God doesn't feel that your situation is hopeless. I promise you this, God has not given up on your marriage. In fact, if you just read the Bible, you see that there's nothing outside the realm of possibility for God to do, whether it's in your life or in a marriage. Let me give you a few verses. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah 32, verse 27. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Implied, no. Luke 18, verse 27, Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And if you read those three verses, you're able to come up with a couple of conclusions. First of all, God's power is unlimited. The second one is anything is possible with God. You know what that includes? That includes the rebuilding of your marriage that right now is in shambles. And you may be looking at it thinking, you know, from a human perspective, it's on its last leg. From a human perspective, it died years ago. From a human perspective, it's already in the coffin and the coffin is nailed shut. But from God's perspective, 
Nothing is impossible. So you have to accept responsibility for your role in the marriage. Second, you have to believe that your marriage can change. I'm telling you, God believes that your marriage can change. Do you believe that your marriage can change? Now here's the third one. Commit to doing whatever it takes. You know, marriage is an interesting thing. Let's say, for example, that uh, me and Laura, we're having some real marriage problems. Our marriage is on the rocks. It's not right now. I talked to her earlier, and we're doing okay today. Today, okay? So for, this is just an example, okay, illustration. But let's say our marriage is on the rock. Well, you know what? The Bible has given a lot of specific instructions about marriage. Uh, for example, there are very specific ways as a husband that I'm to treat Laura. And there are very specific ways the Bible tells Laura that she's supposed to treat me. Now, here's the thing. We can pray all we want to and say, God, heal our marriage, but if I'm not treating Laura the way I'm supposed to treat Laura, and if she's not treating me the way I'm supposed to treat her, we're wasting our breath. breath. <laughs> I said breast, and that comes in the fourth week of the series, okay? Can't make this stuff up. Woo! Anyway. Let's just pray. They told me this was water. Mm. Hey, if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing and Laura's not doing what she's supposed to be doing, God's not going to show up and fix our marriage. He's never going to do our part for us. We've got to do our part. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. <laughs> Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. I can't even see I'm crying. <laughs> we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, let me just tell you something. Great marriages do not just happen. I don't know where you got this idea, but you don't just waltz through marriage with no problem, no transition, no tension. You remember what you said in your vows? For better, for worse, guess what? Worse happens. Worse happens. You know, I told you I had my little small group on Wednesday, and uh, some of the staff, the guys were at my house, and we were all just sitting around talking. Every one of us talked about a marriage crisis. Every one of us. I shared mine. Then another one spoke up and says, yeah, we were married one year, and my wife said, I want to go home to see mom and dad. And he's like, for a night? She says, no. This isn't really working out like I thought. You know. Another one said, yeah, three years ago, we were some pretty intense marriage crisis. One of them said, we were in marriage counseling for three years. And I'm telling you that because these are people that you would know. These are people that you look up to. But my point is, marriage is not just, I mean, worse happens. And because worse happens, I'm telling you, it takes incredible work and effort, and, 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 and effort to make a great marriage. In fact, I've learned, I've learned that a marriage is either moving forward or it's going backwards. But it's never just standing still. So the question you have to come to terms with is this. Are you willing to commit to doing whatever it takes to get your marriage moving forward? Are you actually willing to do your part? Because I'm just going to tell you, it's going to take effort. It's going to take work. It's going to take sweat. It's going to take honesty. It's going to take humility. It's going to take a willingness to admit that you're wrong at time. It's going to take a willingness to ask forgiveness. It's going to take a willingness to change. It's going to take flexibility. It's going to take persistence, and most of all, it's going to take time. You didn't get into this mess overnight. You're not going to get out of this mess overnight. But here's the problem. A lot of us give up way too soon. 
Sometimes I think that God is just getting ready to show up and do something amazing, and before he can, we, we cash in and walk away. I mean, right now, some of you have already checked out. You, you, you've already come up with a plan to get off the island. You've already decided, hey, what I need is a fresh start with a brand new person. Here's the problem when you do that. The problem is you're running from your problems and running with, from your issues. Remember what I said, healthy people make healthy marriages. You're running from your issues instead of dealing with your issues. But what happens is you leave and eventually you find that new person and you think they're going to fulfill you and you think, oh, this person is going to make me happy. And then a few months in, you're like, oh, they're not making me happy and I'm not feeling fulfilled. And the probably, it probably isn't the new person's problem. It's probably the fact that when you came into the relationship, guess what? You brought you with you with all your issues and all your baggage that has never been resolved. And so the cycle continues. Understand, half of the marriages in America end in divorce. Second marriages, 67% end in divorce. Third marriages, 74% end in divorce. Fourth marriages, 83% end in divorce. Do you see a trend here? Do you know what those statistics tell us? Your best chance at being in a happy, successful marriage is staying put in the marriage that you're in right now. In other words, instead of running from the marriage, make the decision to work on the marriage. And I know what some of you are thinking. I just don't feel like working anymore. I don't have the energy. I don't love them anymore. You know, I'm just dead inside. We've been through too much. You know, they're never really going to change. So what do you do? What do you do when you just don't even have the energy to work on your marriage? I mean, that, you've just lost that loving feeling. Well, first you pray. You pray, God, I need you to do your part. Would you give me the feelings again? And you obey. You do your part. In other words, you decide, listen, I'm going to do the right thing whether I feel like it or not. Now, I'm going to give you a secret. Immature people always do what they feel. It's one of the biggest problems we have with our culture we live in today. Everybody wants to just do what they feel. As I've said so many times for a Christian, God doesn't really care that much how we feel. You know what he really cares about? He cares about us being obedient. See, there's a big difference. I'll be honest, there have been many days and months and maybe even years where I can promise you Laura didn't feel like staying married to me. By the way, we're going to speak together in the next few weeks. And you, you might know why. But I will tell you one illustration, and I don't think I've ever shared this with you. My first church I pastored, I was there for 10 years. I loved that church. I called it Camelot because it was the perfect church. And then some people got political. And like, I didn't sign up for this. I'm not getting involved in church politics. In fact, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go back to teaching. I'm not ever going to be in ministry again. It crushed me that there were actually politics. That's how naive I was. Do you know when Laura found out that I was going to quit? The Sunday morning when she was sitting in the audience and when I finished my message, I said, this is my last week. I'm stepping down. You think we had an interesting conversation when we got home? The damage I did to my family turned it up on its heel, ears. See? And a lot of people would have said, you should leave him. You should leave him. But fortunately, Laura didn't go with her feelings, see. See, what's important is that you're obedient, that you do the right thing. Because when you do the right thing, you know what that is? It's a mark of spiritual maturity. It will develop you into a person with real God-like character. So 
do the right thing whether you feel like it or not. You know what? Most of what gets done in this world gets done by people who don't feel like doing it. I'm not going to lie to you. A lot of Saturday nights, I would much rather be at a football game than be at Hope Community Church. Actually, that's all Saturday nights, to be honest with you. <laughs> Most Sunday mornings, if we're just being really honest, right? And if I just said, I'm going to go with my feelings, that's what I would do. But we have to quit living by our feelings. We have to show some courage, build a little bit of character. Do the right thing. This is what will happen. You do the right thing, guess what God will show up and do? You do your part, he'll show up, he'll bless your socks off. Because he loves obedience. By the way, let me just say this also. Feelings always follow action. Let me give you a principle. It's much easier to act your way into a feeling than it is to feel your way into an action. For example, when you start acting nice to your spouse, eventually you'll start feeling nice. It's inevitable, it has to happen, it's just the way we're wired bio, uh, biologically. When you start acting lovingly toward your spouse, guess what will happen? You'll start loving again. If you just start acting kind, even if you have to make yourself do it, eventually you'll start feeling kind. If you start acting sexy, eventually you'll start feeling sexy. You'll be like Justin Timberlake, I'm bringing sexy back, right, anyway, but anyway. You got to commit to doing whatever it takes. You got to do your part. Here's the fourth one. Deal with unresolved hurt. And you do this by asking for and offering forgiveness. Now, that's really, really easy to say in church. But it's really, really tough to live out in our relationships. And it's not new to us. As we saw last week with Adam and Eve, it goes all the way back to the garden. Remember the fog brought with it with shame and blame. But what was the third one? Fame. I want to be right. I want to control. I want to take charge. I want to be the boss. I want to be number one. But then I'm reminded as a follower of Jesus that my role model is one who came not to be a boss, but to be a servant. And the strange thing is, the more I get to know him, the more I want to be like him. And thankfully, the Bible is full of examples of what that looks like. Matthew chapter 5 is one of those examples. In fact, Jesus shares some words here in Matthew chapter 5 regarding an aspect of humility. It is so rare in our marriages, it's seldom ever seen in action. Matthew chapter 5, it's a verse where Jesus talks about vulnerability. This is what he says, Matthew 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, let's say church. The music's flowing, your hands are up, you're connecting with God. And there, remember, it's like God taps you on the shoulder. You remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Let's just, for the sake of the message, let's change that phrase. You're in church, you're worshiping, and... God reminds you that your spouse has something against you. See, they're ticked off because you did something wrong. You hurt them. You offended them. And, and, and you know you did it. Let's find it. We all know he did it. God reminds us over and over again. So what do you do? Verse 24. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Whoa, stop your worship. Go and be reconciled to your spouse and then come back and worship. Let me ask you a question. If we dealt that way with hurt and forgiveness... Can you imagine how much simpler our marriage relationships would be? I mean, if we just applied that one principle. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, you've heard this at weddings. Paul says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Look at this. It keeps no record of wrongs. In Paul day, Paul's day, that was an accountant's term. It means you don't keep a ledger. Do you keep a ledger? of everything your spouse has done against you. Years ago, Laura and I, when we'd been married 25 years, we went through a book called uh, Midlife Marriage. 
And one of the things they recommended, they said, couples have a way of things just building up and you never really deal with them and you kept bringing them up and throwing them up in each other's face. So they recommended that you each get a card and write on that card everything your spouse had done that you would never bring up again. And so I wrote down the one thing for Laura. And, and Laura wrote for days, just days and days and paper and paper and paper. And then one night, it was actually Valentine's. We made a fire. We sat on the floor in front of the fire and we exchanged the cards. And she read what I wrote that I was forgiving her for and I would never even bring it up again. And I read the things that she had held against me and she said she'd never bring them up again. And then we threw them in the fire and we never brought them up again. Listen, maybe the first thing you need to do when you leave here this weekend is talk to your spouse and ask forgiveness for that unresolved issue. See, there's just something, I'm telling you, there's just something magical about the words, I was wrong, please forgive me, that can melt the hardest heart, that can open up any locked door. And maybe that's something you, you should do. But let me also say this. If you've been the offended party, listen, biblically, now you have an obligation to forgive. It's not, well, we just got to talk this through. Well, we got to get to the bottom of this. No, you forgive. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. By the way, the Bible says forgive one another over and over again. You know why? It assumes we're going to offend each other. So quit acting shocked when someone offends you. Like, I can't believe, yes you can. We're bad people. We offend each other, right? So forgive one another if any of you has an agreement against someone. Now here you go, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How did God forgive you when he forgave you? Totally and unconditionally. Did he say, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how sorry you really are. He didn't say that. In fact, he forgave us knowing we would do it again. But he forgave us totally and unconditionally. I'll tell you, your marriage is not going to make it without your willingness to forgive. It's huge. For some of you, that'd be a big start. That'd be a big start. And you know what? Maybe you did in a divorce. And maybe, maybe you were at fault. And maybe the marriage isn't going to get back together. But maybe you owe somebody an apology. That'd be cool. Here's the fifth one, enlist support from others. I'll tell you what, if your marriage is in trouble, you're not going to make it if it's just you and your spouse working on your marriage. You need support, you need encouragement. Let me tell you something. Everything in our culture works against our marriages. In fact, I think there's kind of a general attitude today in our society that says, listen, if your marriage isn't making you happy, if it's not meeting your expectations, you should leave. You should get out, right? You need to do what's right for you. I mean, you hear that over and over again. Let me tell you something. That is pure, absolute, unadulterated selfishness. You're not going to find that in the Bible. Recently, you remember I did the series on the seven deadly sins, and I talked about lust one weekend. And remember, ladies, I said, if your husband has a, 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 an addiction to pornography, that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It means he has an unhealthy addiction that he's got to, addiction that he's got to work on. And I said, the best thing you can do is, is to have the kind of marriage that he feels comfortable coming to you and saying, honey, I've got this addiction. And you walk down that road through that together. Well, a few weeks after that message, I got an email from a wife who said about a week after my message that her husband 
let her know that he had been addicted to pornography since he was a child. And she said, at first it just blew up in my mind. But then she remembered the message. You know, we walked through this together. And they found a ministry where the husband now gets to sit down every week and meets with men who's addicted with porn. And at the same time, in another part of the building, the wives are together encouraging and supporting one another. See, that's a biblical approach. That's a lot, that's, that's a lot better than going your friend who's still bitter because of their divorce and saying, well, I, I'd, what, I'd kick them to the curb. That's what I would say. Big, big difference. You need support. You need advice that helps you stay together. You need somebody who sometimes can help you sort things out. Sometimes you just need an objective third party who can help you in an area where as a couple you're butting heads, you just can't see each other's side. Maybe you need a good Christian counselor. We have some great ones we could recommend for you. Maybe you just need an older couple who can mentor you. Maybe you need to sign up for a session of re-engage. I think it's probably one of the best ministries we have going here at Hope Community Church. But you need somebody in your life who will not just tell you what you want to hear. I'm telling you, that kind of advice is worthless. As a child of God, you want to know what God's word says. So let me just leave you with, leave you with a couple of verses. Proverbs 19, verse 20. It says, listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. What a great promise. And then Proverbs 24, verse 3. By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding is established. Make sure when you seek advice, you're not just seeking advice. Make sure you're pursuing biblical wisdom. And God says your life is going to change. But let me leave you with this. God is fighting for you. God is pulling for you. God wants nothing more than to do his part. But he needs you to do your part. He believes in you. He believes in you. The question is, do you believe? Do you believe? Let's bow together. Let me just say this before I pray. I know some of you, and this stirs up a lot of memories because some of you are sitting here and you're divorced. And some of you are here in a marriage that's falling apart. Man, you want it to work so bad, and you're doing everything you can to, to make it work. And I wish I could tell you, if you go home and apply these five principles, everything's going to change. But we all know that's not the case. We know that's not the case. Because you know what? Marriage isn't 50-50. Marriage is 100-100. And it takes two people all in to have a marriage. So I just want to remind you again, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I would just encourage you, you pray every day, God, help me be the person you've called me to be. Help me be the spouse you've called me to be. And then, and then you have to trust God. But I don't ever want you to feel condemned at Hope Community Church. All of us at times should feel convicted. All of us should probably walk out and think, yeah, this is an area that I need to grow in. I could do better in my life. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you for that promise. It's a touchy subject. And in just a few weeks, we're going to talk about, just next week, we're going to talk about, God, why you love marriage so much. But we're also going to answer the question, 
Why does Satan hate marriage so much? Why is he so afraid of marriage? And I know that in talking about it, we'll talk about some things and see some things theologically that maybe we, we never understood before. But Father, it helps us understand your heart. And you are a God of love and grace and mercy. And we look forward to seeing what we're going to learn. And I look forward, Father, maybe using something to begin that step of putting marriages back together. And we're going to give you the glory for what you're going to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find out ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. 